so, um, yeah, so we're going to look at uh, 12 things, kind of highlight lessons and summary of our time together. Uh, so number one, let's uh, look at number one. You can turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter one. I'm going to pick out some different scriptures and summarize some other things uh, as we go through these 12 points. The first one is this, uh, that the believer, the follower of God, uh, is mindful of defiling themselves, of defiling themselves, of ruining themselves. As holy people, uh, they're mindful not to defile themselves in a sinful world. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, um, and if you can remember, uh, these are probably 15-year-olds around there, and what, uh, what's going on? They've been taken from family, friends, home, into captivity from Jerusalem uh, to Babylon. And if you think about uh, God's holy people and God's holy city going to the, the wicked place, the pagan place, uh, if you look throughout the scripture, you'll see Babylon over and over again. And it's, it's the picture, it's the picture of wickedness. It's, it's the other side. It's, it's the one that you don't want to be a part of. This is where uh, these young men were. And uh, in verse 8, uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with wine that he drank. Um, the picture here is this, that he, so he goes to this pagan place. He's part of the pagan king's court. And now they're going to train him to be part of the king and the people. And as part of that is their food. And now, it wasn't just that it was their food. It was probably what it was, but also maybe even more importantly, what it was used for. It was given over to the God of Babylon. And so Daniel put it together and he says, we, we can't be as God's people uh, defiling ourselves, ruining. He, he, was, he was mindful and, and concerned. I don't want to ruin myself in this pagan place, in this pagan time uh, with this food. And I, I would just tell you that this is what God's people think about. I, I'm in, I'm behind enemy lines. Uh, this is not God's city. This is not God's people in time. I can't just go with the flow. And what I eat what I do, where I hang out, what I participate in, I have to ask the question, will this ruin me? Will this ruin me? This is what Daniel was thinking through, him and his friends, and it says that he resolved that he would not defile himself with a king's food or wine, which puts him in an awkward spot. This was part of the, the regimen, if you will. This was part of the training You'll eat here, you'll sleep here, you'll learn this, you'll do that. Um, and so it puts him kind of in the crosshairs. But for Daniel, he said, you know, I'm not going to defile myself. This is part of that first question that I can't answer yes to. If you go down to verse 17 in chapter 1, it says, As for these four youths, Daniel and his friends, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions, visions and dreams. Putting those two together, you see this. Daniel didn't defile himself. He didn't go along with the flow. He, he honored God, and God gave him uh, really favor and wisdom and uh, the learning of visions. Uh, God did that. God put that together for them. And I, I, all I would say is this, that Daniel trusted and God blessed, uh, blessed him and his friends, even in a wicked place. Um, I want to encourage us all to think through the question of life is not, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Most of, most of us, that's the only question we ask. What are we going to eat? What are we going to, oh, whatever I want to eat. Whatever I want. Where am I going to go? Wherever I want to go. Are you going to go to this? Well, let me ask myself, do I want to go? It's not, what do I want? The second question is equally a bad question. So, sometimes we say, well, what is everybody else doing? 
What is everybody else doing? Uh, and, and sometimes we like to think, well, it doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of choice. That's true. There are many things that don't matter. But to be able to, to say, this one does matter. And for Daniel, he knew that the food offered to idols wasn't what God wanted for him. And so he said, no, I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing. Um, he, uh, he stood out, him and his friends stood out. And then God blessed them. So the first one is this, just uh, that the follower of God does not defile themselves. Uh, they, they're mindful of that. Is this going to ruin me? And I, I would just encourage you, uh, is this what God wants or is this something that's going to ruin me? If it's something going to ruin me, I don't care if everybody else is doing it. I'm not going to. Secondly, kind of in the same section, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, um, I, I'm struck, and I was struck months ago when we looked at this the first time, that young men can walk in purity in a pagan world. Young men can walk in purity in a pagan world. What are young men known for in our culture today? If you think of teenage young men and 20s, what are they known for? And if you want to like have a general title, nothing good, right? Nothing good. Uh, they're known to be selfish. They're known to be filled with lust. Uh, they're meant to be angry and, and reckless. And, and, you, and you go on and on about all those passions that are ruining. And, and it's easy for a young man, even today, even here at Bear Valley Church, to go, yeah, I'm just a dumb young man. I'm just like whatever everybody else. You know, nobody thinks we can do anything, and we can't. That's why, because we don't, you know. And uh, this is just the way it goes. And yet I look in the scripture and I see 15-year-olds, 15-year-olds going through this process of schooling, getting to be their 20s, and then in their 20s continuing to do it, doing what? Walking in purity in a pagan world. I, I want to I be clear. Um, Babylon was like the worst place. I, I want you to get that. So... Um, Sometimes we, we say, well, the, the reason young men can't stand in our world today is because of the culture. It's because of the culture. If the culture wasn't bad. If the culture was good, young men would be good. And I want to tell you, that's not true. That's not true. God's enough for young men, for old men, for young women, for old women. He's enough for us at any phase of life. And we can, we can walk in purity even in a pagan world. You see these men uh, in their youth, uh, in, in captivity, away from family, 15 to 20 years old, marked themselves and were marked by their relationship with God, not pressured, not walking in their flesh, but walking with God. Number three, number three. And I, I want to give you these three words, no matter what, no matter what. One of the things that I see in the book of Daniel is this attitude in God's people, mostly Daniel, but his friends as well, no matter what, no matter what. In chapter one, you see the food and the wine that they wouldn't take, no matter what. In chapter three, you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, being pressured in their area and their time, the, really the whole uh, city bowed at a certain time to a gold idol that uh, it was known that if they didn't, it would be thrown in the furnace. They would die. And then later on in life, you see in chapter 6 in the life of Daniel, uh, these jealous uh, other rulers tricked the king into making this law that no one could pray to anyone other than him knowing that Daniel prayed to his God three times a day. And if he would continue doing that, he'd be thrown in the lion's den. And, and what I look at is this, that in these three places, as well as um, Daniel with these dreams interpreting, there's some pressures there. What you see is Daniel walking with God no matter what, no matter what. See, sometimes we ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? 
uh, we, we pull out our calculator and we go, I, I want to know if the benefit, cost benefit is there. There's an old story I heard before they made a movie out of it where uh, a man, a wealthy man, goes to a woman and he says, um, would you participate in infidelity with me? I'll give you a million dollars. The story goes on and uh, the woman, you know, she thinks about it and she realizes that's a lot of money and she says, yeah, I I guess I will. I guess I will. And the the man responds with, well, how about for $10? $10. And in shock and horror, the woman, she, she says, what kind of woman do you think I am? And he says, we've already determined what kind of woman you are. Now we're just haggling over price. And the question that that, that that story brings up to me as I look at the uh, stories of Daniel and the, the situations there is that as God's people, it, it's never about math. It's never about the price. It's never about the cost. We've already determined that we are God's people and that we will follow him no matter what. And so when it comes up to in this in, in the book of Daniel, four or five times, there's an issue of death, issue of death. And what do God's people do? They say, no matter what, no matter what, I am doing this or I'm not doing this, no matter what, because I follow my God. We're not up for sale anymore. And so we learn this idea that no matter what, it's interesting in uh, in chapter 3, uh, the response of God, these three young men as they wouldn't bow, and they said, you, we, we know, King, you know, uh, that our God can save us. But even if, even if he doesn't save us, we will not bow to your idol or worship this golden image that you've put before us. Even if, no matter what. Uh, I think that it's important for us to get that attitude in our hearts we haven't been tested in the United States. For most, for most of us, we've never experienced any difficulty at all when it comes to our faith. You say, oh yeah, I've been persecuted. That one time, that one time. You know what? The girls laughed at me. I want to tell you, uh, there's no stories of people laughing at anybody. And Daniel go, oh man, I'm really tempted to give in because they were laughing at me. It was always an issue of life or death. And I want to tell you that even in life or death, even in life or death, uh, the, the attitude should be no matter what, or even if God would choose that I would die in the midst of this. So no matter what, that was number three. Number four, what we see in the book of Daniel, multiple times I'll show them to you now, that man is a joke when we try to steal the glory of God. Man is a joke, or man is the joke uh, when we try to steal the glory of God. You think about that chapter 3, uh, I just spoke of it, the bowing to the golden image. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's an interesting character in this. We see him uh, like bold, very bold. And this is one of the times where he's very bold. He says, yeah, this golden image that I made, yeah, you're going to bow down to it. When I say, you know, when these say this and the, the instruments play, you're going to bow down. He's in charge. He's in charge. And he's showing how strong he is and what a great leader he is. Bow to the image. He's he's fired up when he realizes that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not bowing. He's fired up and he goes, turn up the heat. We're going to burn them and it's going to be extra hot. And even others die, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go in there. And as Nebuchadnezzar tries to exert his, his power and his kingly force, and he realizes that they're not being burnt up. And in shame, he calls him out and he says, come on, please. Uh, and he realizes, and he goes, no, now I'm going to make an order that nobody should worship any god other than the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who's a joke? It wasn't God. When man tries to steal the glory of God, he looks foolish. You can look over at uh, chapter 4, verse, verses 29 through 33. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar, 
And in chapter 4, verse 29, it says, At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the, the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? You know, he... He's up on top, and the reason he's up on top is because he built it so he could see how awesome he was. And, and as he looked over Babylon, he goes, I own that, and I own that, and I own that. Not just did I, 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 do I own them. I built that, I built that, I built that. And let me tell you about the architecture of this one, and the reason I built it, and, the, and, and all this reflects how great I am. Some of you live high up on the hill, right? In Bear Valley, you got a beautiful spot. And you can imagine, some of you do this with your house. And you want to talk about how smart you were in building the deck. And like put it here and so you could look out. By the way, you don't own Cummings Valley or Bear Valley. And some of you even look down on the church. You don't own. But like picture yourself if you were Nebuchadnezzar and you say, I own it all. I own it all. I built it all. And, and so full of himself, he, he goes up on the, the uh, top of his royal residence. And, and as he's up there, probably with his slaves and servants, whoever else, and he makes this, you know, this is all mine, right? And this is how great I am, right? Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. And as you read further you realize this for seven years, he's living out with the animals. He's eating grass and he looks like an animal. He's, he's like a beast and his hair's a mess. And like he's living as a, uh, uh, a man out of his mind with animals. Shamed, not for seven minutes, not for seven days, but for seven years. That he was, and, and as you think about Nebuchadnezzar and you realize all his real exploits and his, his kingdom, it was great. It was great. He did incredible things. But thinking that was him, thinking that he was over God, what happened? Uh, as he shot his mouth off at the immediate time, God says, no, no, that's mine. And if I gave it to you, I gave it to you, and so you should reflect my glory, not your glory. And so for seven years, he was a picture, both to himself and an onlooking world, that uh, he was not great, but that God was. You can also look in chapter 5, where you see King Belshazzar. Um, You remember that guy. Uh, So... He, we don't know much about him. He's a fairly insignificant king. But uh, he threw a great party. And he had all his friends, all his wives, all his girlfriends, and all the other bimbos of the place, drinking and partying on and living it up and, and trying to say, this is great, isn't it? We're drinking, we're, we're living it up. And somebody gets a great idea. Oh, yeah, my dad, Nebuchadnezzar, when he conquered uh, Jerusalem, they, they took some things from the temple. Wouldn't that be funny and fun to grab those gold and silver things, pour the wine in it, and we will party with these things that were meant to worship God. Wouldn't that be a great idea? You can read about that. As, and, and I could picture, this would be a great movie, by the way. So you picture all these people just living it up. They're... Uh, fully inebriated or well on their way. And, you know, they're, they're laughing too loud and they're, you know, they get these gold and the silver and they, they're not thinking all that clearly, maybe not even seeing all that clearly. And then all of a sudden they drink and they're laughing and then all of a sudden out of nowhere there's a hand, a human hand riding on the wall. It doesn't say a human person. 
writing on the wall. It says a human hand. And there's actual writing going on the wall. And they're going, what's going on? Did you see that? Uh, what is it? Uh, you know, and uh, part of who they are and what's going on and how they're feeling, they lose their minds. They just lose their mind. And of course, the king is like losing his mind. What is going on? This is not what I planned at my party. And so the queen, probably Nebuchadnezzar's wife, she says, oh, remember Daniel. Remember Daniel. And let's go get Daniel. And so they go get Daniel. And Daniel comes and he says, I don't really want to tell you what this says. But he says, no, you've got to tell me. And he says, this is telling you that you've done wrong, that you've been found wanting, and that your kingdom is going to be taken from you tonight. Tonight. And that's what happened. It was as if they heard the, the knocking on the door as Daniel was sharing this, and it came and it happened that night. And he was removed, and that kingdom was handed over to one another. And I just want to point this out and try to tie this point together. Man is the fool. Man is the joke when we try to steal the glory and place of God. When we... When we try to think that we are the king or we are the queen and that we are the uh, one who's successful, man looks like the fool as God acts. Number four. Number five. Um, We are to follow after God when we are young and when we are old and in the days in between. I love the book of Daniel. One of the things that stands out to me is 15, 15 to 80-something. 15 to 80-something. Daniel's whole life. Daniel's whole life. 15 to 80-something. And we look at that and we realize that Daniel is walking with God from 15 to 80-something. It's not that he wasn't a failure in there. It's not that he didn't sin but that he walked with God. I think so often we, uh, we think it's for when you're older or we think we're past that. Um, for those of you who are young here today, today is the day for you. Today is the day for you to walk with God. T- today is the day for you to be like Daniel and his friends. They weren't perfect. Uh, they sinned. They failed. But God gave them strength to walk with Him when they were a teenager, when they were in 20s. When Daniel was, um, I, think, I think he was in his 60s or 50s or 60s when he went to the lion's den. And at the end, these prophecies are in his 80s. In his 80s. And, and I look at that and I go, that's Bear Valley Church. The young and the old and everybody in between. And all of us need to walk with God in our time and our place today. I want to encourage you, if you're young, it's not for the old to walk with God. And if you're old, it's not for you to retire from walking with the Lord, even more so now. We need you to finish strong. When you were young and when you were old in the days in between. 15 to mid-80s, okay? Uh, Until he takes you home. Number six. Kings and smart guys are no match for the man of God. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 26 through 28, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And there's a dream vision type thing throughout the book of Daniel. You see these over and over again. This first one is for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I told you that he was a man that kind of blew a gasket every once in a while. And some days he was good, some days he was bad. And one of the things he did was he had this crazy dream. How many of you have had a crazy dream? Crazy dream. So Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream. He feels like it's something more than just a crazy dream because I ate weird stuff because I went to bed uh, before I went to bed. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and so... What does he do? When you're the king, you call the smart guys. And so he called all the the people that would be able to help him with this. And so he says to them, hey, I want you to interpret my dream. And so the smart guys say to him, okay, tell us what your dream is. 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes, no, this is how we're going to do this because I'm king and I, I don't want you to uh, mess me up or whatever. If you're so smart, if you're so smart, tell me what the dream was. And the smart guys go, no, 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 king, I was about ready to make something up. Um, you tell me the dream and I'll make something up like it interpret that dream is. That, that's the way we were going to do this. And, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar says, no. In fact, if you don't do that, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. I'm going to put you in pieces. Um, thankfully, uh, Daniel enters the scene for the smart guys. So there's the king, there's the smart guys, and then there's Daniel, and I would even say his friends. Um, verse 26, chapter 2, verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, uh, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and, and its interpretation? He asked Daniel the same thing. Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, ma- magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Nobody can do that. It can't happen. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. As you read on, you'll see that uh, Daniel, well, actually, even before that, what Daniel did was him and his buddies prayed. They prayed and they asked God for wisdom for Daniel as he goes to the king. Uh, King says, tell me the dream. Daniel says, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. But there is a God in heaven that's going to give you the answer. And Daniel goes on to be the one to both give the dream and interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. It's not the smart guys. It's not the kings. But it's uh, God's man. And I would even say it this, God working in God's man. You see the same thing in Daniel chapter 6 where the uh, conniving, jealous rulers as Daniel they don't want him to, they want him to fail, and they knew that they would have to get him to fail in regards to his relationship with God. They knew that he was a man of prayer. They knew that he prayed three times a day. Um, and so they made, they tricked the king into making a law about uh, Daniel praying three times a day. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. Daniel gets preserved. What happens to the smart guys, the other rulers? They get thrown into the lion's den. And they are torn limb by limb uh, by the lions themselves. They thought uh, they were the smart guys, the kings, the rulers. But in the end, the man of God was the one who prevailed. Number seven. Number seven. Um, Very simply, I'd say it like this. Evil will end. Evil will end. Now, when I say evil will end... I think most of us can relate to being young, being young. And I think especially like first, second grade, where you're starting to really like have friends, right? You're having people. And like, uh, I always think it's funny that boys especially, uh, they'll go to school and they'll come home and say, man, I made a friend today. They say, well, tell me about your friend. Oh, it was great. It was great. We were on the playground and we played kickball and we laughed and like it was fun and we were running and we won the game and and they say, oh, great. Is he nice? Oh, yeah, he's a great kid. Love him. He's my best friend. He's my best friend. What's his name? I don't know his name, but like we sure had a fun time today and he's a best friend to me. Um, I think in the, uh, the sweetness of youth and the protectedness of youth, we see all the world as good people. Yeah, there's the one kid, you know, there's that one kid who pushed me down the slide. Slide. He's evil. Sometimes even for boys, that's fun too, right? He pushed me down the slide. I almost cracked my head, but it was super fun. Um, but uh, th- this picture that there, there is no evil, there is no evil, and everyone's good. Everyone's good. Yeah, every once in a while somebody does something wrong, but the world is not an evil place. I don't know if it's just getting older. I'm not old, but getting older. It's all where you sit, I guess, right? Um, but but I'm, 
my mind shifts. My mind shifts. And, and as I see more things happening in the world and maybe some things that I thought were good before or people that I thought were good before, and then it's revealed that they acted wickedly and evil, you start to flip-flop and even see maybe what the Scripture talks about when it speaks of an evil, depraved world. You realize it is evil. Now picture Daniel. He was just hanging out, right? He's grown up, privileged. He was going to a good school. He was learning stuff. He was part of a great family, and he's learning stuff. And then he gets snatched out of that and brought into the evil city, right? the evil empire. And he starts seeing things. And so there's this evil. And, and it, it's not just a, a month through or whatever. It's ultimately 70 years, 70 years. Well, what does God tell him in Daniel 9? Daniel 9. Daniel 9 gives us two numbers of 70. 70 years, 70 weeks. 70 years, 70 weeks. 70 weeks or 70 years is what? It's the captivity. The captivity will be 70 years. And so Daniel, what is he doing, right? He's 15 and now he's 80 something, you know. 15 plus 70 is 85, right? And he's probably 83, 84 at this time. And he goes, oh, God's telling me in my 80s that it's only going to be 70 years. It's coming to an end. The evil that I'm living in will come to an end. The evil that I'm coming. And so he has 70 years of captivity will end. Then at the end of chapter 9 of the book of Daniel... He brings about 70 weeks, 70 weeks. And Daniel's concern at the end of Daniel chapter 9 is not about the captivity. It's what's going to happen with my people? Well, 70 weeks, 70 periods or seven sevens, this, this period of the 70 weeks. And so we realize that God's communicating with his people that there is an end. It's not an end of the world as much as it is an end of evil. An end of evil. Evil is real, but evil will end. I think that's important for us to remember as we see evil in this world, as we get tired out by evil, as we get weary of the wickedness of this world, to remember it will end. Number eight, temporary kings and the eternal king. Temporary kings and the eternal king. So as you look at the the book of Daniel, start off with Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, a prophecy with some others slipping in there, but like a prophecy about Antiochus Epiphanes, we have the kings of the north, the kings of the south, and them going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We're, we hear of Rome. In our culture today, we have Russia and China. We have leaders like the Bushes, the Clintons, the Obamas, Trumps, Bidens, me, and you. Not that you or I are ever going to be president of anything. But we have leaders All of these leaders, good or bad, all are temporary kings. Temporary kings. Most of which think that they're going to reign forever. They think that they're going to reign forever. I I realize that, you know, when I mention the presidents, of course, they only know it's four years. You can get times two if you finagle a way to get reelected. But there's this idea that you will reign and be important and be over forever. Because I'm a great king. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. He's gone. Belshazzar, he wasn't a great king. He didn't make it very long. Darius, he's gone. These others, Antiochus Epiphanes was a a type of the Antichrist. And he's gone. He's gone. Like, like you look at this and you realize 
that, that men and women think they're great, but then they're gone. And it's important to remember that they are temporary kings. In fact, when you meet a king or a person that thinks they're important or the boss or the pastor, just remember or remind them you're temporary. It's good. It's good for us to remember that because it's true. We're temporary. You look over in uh, chapter 7. And chapter 7 uh, is really a chapter that kind of leads us into the prophecy and the things that are to come and tells us what's going to happen. And we see the Ancient of Days as being Father God. And in chapter 7, verse 13, it said this. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. One like the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, meaning the Son of Man, and to him, verse 14, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's awesome if you're following that king, right? If you're following that king, that's awesome. Not, it's awesome that he is, but it's awesome for you that you're following the, the one whose dominion will go on forever. If you're following a temporary king, it's terrible to be you, you know? Your life is a mess, your life is only as good as the king and his kingdom and how long his kingdom lasts. Side by side, you see uh, the, the temporariness of man and the eternality of God, but specifically of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The one that will not pass away. I want to tell you that that's why, that's why we should be humble. That's why we should be humble. Why did these kings get in so much trouble? Because they, they lost their place. Daniel didn't lose his place. Daniel knew his place. He understood his uh, place was to be humble. He was not one that... Uh, was always pushing his way, his, his ideas, his, his leadership, but the idea that he was the king and this was his kingdom. He's not, not doing that. But he knew that God was over him. And these kings were temporary people. Number nine. Number nine. Powerful people pray. You look at, uh, one of the things that you see in Daniel's life is that uh, he was in every administration. He was in every one of them. Like the, the reins turned over both kings to sons or, or offspring, but also regime change. And somehow Daniel was always at the top. He, he wasn't a part of, like, he, remember he was a foreigner, right? He was a captive. And yet all the times he was put in, and you say, well, how, what was his secret to being a powerful leader? I don't know. I don't know all of it. But I want to point out one thing, that powerful people pray. In chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, what did Daniel and his friends do? They prayed. They cried out to God. They, they, they realized, and I don't think it was all that smart of them, to be honest with you. Uh, you, you. When should you pray? When should you pray? Well, at all times, right? When do you think about praying? When you're in a mess, right? You think about it. And, um, yeah, uh, when your wife's having a baby, right? Right? When you're having a baby, uh, when you're sick, when you're struggling with your kids, right? When you might lose your job, 
when you don't know what to do, when you're out of money. Like, like these are knee-jerk reactions for God's people to pray. And, and I think as a young man, Daniel and his friends go, what are we doing? We're in over our heads here, out of our league. Now is the time we cry out to God because he can help us. That's Daniel chapter 2. But Daniel chapter 6, what was Daniel doing, right? He had a habit of prayer. It says that it, he, this is what he did. This was his practice. He did it over and over again. Three times a day, opening up the, the blinds like we're, we're doing this. He's praying. Dan, there's Daniel praying again. That's what he does. It's his habit. They outlaw prayer. They outlaw prayer. And Daniel goes, did you sign it? Did you sign it? Show me the ring. Show me the ring. Oh, you sign it. Good. Okay, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go pray. He's a man of prayer. At the end of his life, you look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Uh, it says this, and this is really what brings in the prophecy that Daniel knows about his people that are to come. Chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. If you read the greater context, he's concerned about his people. And, and he's looking, and maybe you can relate to this. He's an old man. He's an old man. And he goes, I realize the captivity is coming to a close. I realize I'm doing the math. I'm not going to be around here much longer. What's going to happen after I'm gone? What's going to happen to my people? So what does he do? He cries out in prayer. I want to encourage you, especially those of you who are older, you wonder, what does God have for you today? I want to tell you, one thing I know that you can do, one thing I know that he has for you is prayer. And you say, well, what should I pray for? Your offspring, your offspring. And you say, well, I don't know what to pray. You've been watching the news. Combine the news with your offspring, okay? It's tough. It's crazy. And so pray about how they live and how they know the gospel in this world that we live in and connecting the dots. And, and as you talk to them on the phone, if they tip you off, ask another question and say, tell me about that. And then remind them, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Powerful people pray. Number 10. Number 10. The worship of God is central to today and the great tribulation. The worship of God is central to today and the great tribulation. One of the things that stood out to me, and uh, you can look back at this and you can really connect all these passages together is that over and over again it speaks of this event of the abomination of desolation this event which the stopping of the worship of God through sacrifices and the defiling of the temple through pagan sacrifices and the setting up of another idol it's over and over again and it's connecting us to what would happen in Antiochus Epiphany's life, his king rule, but also to that which is going to happen in the end. And what you see is that the worship of God is central to him being holy and us exclusively being worshipers of him. This is central to the theme of today, but also for the great tribulation. The, the reason I think that's important is... Just, I would just encourage you, is the worship of God for you the center of your life? I'm not just talking about coming to church. But as you come, do you come as a worshiper of God? Do you think of the time of singing as this is what I'm doing? I am a worshiper of God. I'm, I'm focusing on my God and worshiping Him, giving Him worth. As I look to his word, I, I'm, I'm listening, I'm, I'm reading, I'm, I'm hearing because I am a worshiper of the God of the Bible. 
And as I leave from here, I seek to obey and I, I seek to see his goodness in, in my day and be thankful. Why? Because I'm a worshiper of God. And I seek him. Why? Because I'm a worshiper of God, both in the quiet times, but also in the midst of my day. I am a worshiper of God. Worship is central to today and to the things that are to come, even in the great tribulation. Number 11. For us to remember that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Now, uh, as you read through the book of Daniel, it's hard to see because we don't see who he is as a person yet. We don't see his incarnation, him being down here on earth. We don't see his miracles. We don't see him going to the cross. But as we put these pieces together, especially as we see the New Testament, and specifically Revelation, we know that Jesus is coming back. For those of you who are goal-oriented, how do you reach a goal? Well, first of all, you got to figure out what your goal is, right? you got to figure out the end. Where is it that we want to end up? And then you think through where you are and what are the steps to get there to that end? And if it's a long-term goal, you ask the question like this. You say, what can I do today? What should I be doing today that I might reach that goal? Well, couple of things I tell you. It's not our goal. It's not our goal. We didn't, we didn't make up this plan. But as you look at the book of Daniel and as you see the scripture in totality, you realize that Jesus coming back is everything's pointing to that. And, and when I say Jesus is coming back, he's coming back to rid the world of evil, of wickedness, to crush it. And specifically to crush Antichrist, Satan. That's what will happen when Jesus comes back. And knowing that that's kind of the pinnacle of history, every all, history is pointing to that. What are we doing? Where are we at? First question I'd ask is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? His, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Is your hope in all your good works? I hope not. Because they're not enough. They're really not that good anyways. Your best works aren't much. Filthy rags. Are you ready to meet Jesus? The only way we can be ready is if we've trusted in His complete work on the cross. He's won the victory for us. He's released us from our sins. He's cleansed us from our guilt. Are you ready? You see, uh, one of Satan's great methods and plots is us to worry about things today. Uh, asking questions about like, you know, what, what are we doing today? Well, I got some really important stuff going on. It's really stressful. Well, what's so stressful? You know, I got a midterm, you know. I, I can't worship God right now because I'm a midterm because it's super important. Because if I don't do this, like this is more important than anything right now. I'll get to that other stuff later. I want to tell you, uh, flip, flip that around. Around. Get ready to meet Jesus. Because if you're not ready to meet Jesus, you're not ready for anything. If you're ready to meet Jesus, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, live like it today. Like you gotta do stuff. You gotta pay bills, you gotta collect the eggs, you gotta, you know, go to school and go to work. You gotta do all these things, but it should be in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Sometimes we get wound up in politics that this is going to be the biggest thing or maybe it's in finances or, or maybe it's in our own opinions, what we think is important in our generation and, and we believe this and this is what I'm going to live by. I want to tell you, scrap all that. Live in light of Jesus coming back. Lastly, and kind of pulls us together, the, the last verse of Daniel chapter 12. The last verse in the book of Daniel. 
And if you're here last week, you only have to remember from last week we talked about this. If you weren't listening last week, we're reviewing. It's okay. It's good. Uh, the last verse says this. As Daniel has uh, shared with us all this prophecy, he's given us some end times math. And the last verse says this. Verse 13, but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. If you look up at verse 9, uh, the, the angel said to him, he said, go your way. So he says it twice, go your way. Well, what is that? Go your way. I want to tell you, it's when you leave here, go your way. Well, what are you going to do? I hope you're going to go get some lunch, Right? But I also hope that you're going to call your kids or you're going to go be with one another and you're going to encourage each other. And tomorrow you'll probably have to go to your job or your school and go your way. Go do what God has for you. You say, well, I'm not exactly sure what God has for me. You know what? If you're a brother or a sister, he's called you to be a brother or a sister. If you're a mom or a dad, he's called you to be a mom or a dad. If, if you're a grandparent, you've got to be a grandparent, right? If you're a friend, if you're an employee, if you're a, a teammate or a student, this is what he's called you to do. So go your way. As you know that Jesus is coming back, go your way till the end. It's going to end one of two ways. You're either going to go, you know, you're, you're going to die here in this life and that will be your rest or he'll come back and you'll receive, be received if you've trusted in him. You'll take your allotted place with him forever. That's how this is going to end. And I want to tell you, for us, it's important that we remember that we are here to live. Sometimes we get so caught up, and even in the scriptures, the church at Thessalonica was a little bit famous for this. Knowing that the Lord was going to return, knowing that the, there was a plan for the end, they go, oh, let's go sit up on the hill and look to the skies. Got my bucket of popcorn. I'm just going to watch this thing happen. I'm excited. No. We're supposed to do what God has for us to do today. As we know, the Lord's going to return and work out his plan and take us home to be with him forever. God, thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would stir our hearts to walk faithfully with you today. Give us the strength as you gave Daniel and his friends. Uh, not just in the days of their youth, but as their whole life. God, we ask that you would cause us to be faithful. God, help us to see what, what is important and what is not. Help us to have wisdom to know what's defiling and what is not. Help us to walk in humility but, and not in pride like the kings of the book of Daniel. God, do your work in your church. Protect us, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.